Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Autoramus Bulletin. On this episode, I talk with Dr. Vern Steiner about the book of Leviticus and how it foreshadows the liturgy today. So without further ado, another Autoramus interview. All right, I am here with Dr. Vern Steiner, who is the founding president of the Emmaus Institute for Biblical Studies based in the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska. How are you doing today, Vern? I'm well, thanks, Jesse. Great to be with you. It's it's great to be here too, and I'm very excited for the uh, to talk about your article that you wrote for Adoramus Bulletin, and uh, the title is called "Holy Liturgy, Holy Living: Lessons from the Book of Leviticus." And I'll tell you why I'm excited about this because uh, when when people say they want to hear scripture or they want to do exegesis or you know they want to dive into scripture and learn something, I think the two things that are last on the list are Leviticus is the one, but then the other is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When we go through those readings and we say uh, so and so begat so and so, and that's about you know ten minutes of lineage there. So uh, so I'm excited to learn about this book that not everybody likes to talk about because it, it, it kind of gets a bad rap. I think you would, you would probably agree. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot here. But first, just to kind of get us uh, into, into the topic, uh, can you just give me a, a little bit of introduction to, to Leviticus? Why is this book so important? Why is it incorporated into the Old Testament? And why is it, uh, why is it there? And, and what can we learn from it? Sure. Yes, Leviticus does get a lot of bad press. I, I mentioned in the article a, a family physician who once told me to read Leviticus if I have a problem sleeping. And I told him, hey, that's one of my favorite books. He said, well, then read Zephaniah. So we, <laughs> we have many of these challenging books in Scripture. Leviticus follows right on the heels of Exodus. At the end of Exodus, we have the tabernacle having been constructed, and and uh, and Leviticus follows then. Uh, defining uh, for God's people what it will require for them to uh, dwell in and around the tabernacle with the holy God. And so the uh, the book uh, says a lot about uh, sacrifice and, and uh, worship and how to live consistent uh, with God's um, requirements and um, specifies some things for the Levitical priests, but it's not primarily about the priests. It's about holy liturgy and holy living that's consistent with it. So I, I love this book. I once proposed to a seminary dean that I offer an elective on Leviticus, and he vetoed the idea because he didn't think it would be marketable. But uh, I've continued to live in this book and uh, learn a lot from it. And I think um, there's a lot for us as God's people to glean from what this book teaches, again, about holy liturgy, holy worship, uh, holy living that's consistent with it and that builds on it. Uh, as, a, as the father of, t- of two children and a bunch of grandchildren, I, I got to say, after reading your article and after kind of learning a little more about Leviticus, it kind of sounds like a parenting guide because it, it's like God speaking to his children and guiding them and what to do and what not to do. And if it, uh, of all the things in Leviticus, too, there's there's often some of these punishments that come with with not listening and obeying to God. Do you find that there, there's a parallel there? Yes, indeed. And I think those are some of the reasons that 
this is one of the favorite books uh, in Judaism, even to the present day, and taught to young children for some of those very reasons. The exalted holiness of God in this book, uh, which includes, of course, the implications for uh, not living consistent with his holiness. So in, in Leviticus, uh, God is uh, is depicted as holy, and that, that term shows up in various forms some 150 times or so. So it's a dominant theme here. But, um, but holiness has to do with God's removal, God's separation from all that is sinful. And so it has positive implications. Here's how we may approach a holy God. And it has uh, frightening implications. Here's what happens when people refuse to do that. So, yeah, I, I think it's a book that, um, that, that gives us a lot of deep um, theology, a lot of understanding into just the nature of, of who God is and what the implications are for dwelling in his presence. So you you break down this article with four principal questions, which we'll go over in this little interview. And I'd love to maybe get a little extra information about why these four questions are so important. But we'll start with the first one. And I got to say, just reading the question itself kind of slapped me in the face and made me think about you know, what I'm doing in the mass and, and what, what we're doing as, uh, in the mass as a culture. But uh, the first question you propose is, is God the object of our liturgy? What do, you, what do you mean by that question? And why do we need to focus on it? Sure. Well, I'm a relatively new Catholic. Five years uh, we were received, my wife and I, at the Easter Vigil 2015. And um, what I have learned uh, as I grow in my love for the mass is that that there is such a reverence, uh, there is such a, a an exaltedness of the Lord from beginning to end, if we are attentive to it. I mean, it's certainly the way the Mass is structured. It's, it's certainly the intent uh, of our priests. But but I'm not so certain that that all people come to mass with that focus. You know, are we truly coming to meet the living God, the, the God who is removed by His holiness, and yet has invited us by way of His gracious redemption into His presence, and moreover has revealed Himself to us as His people. Uh, are we there to meet this God, this this living and holy and exalted God? And um, is that truly what brings us to Mass? Or is it an activity to tick off, you know, <laughs> uh, an obligation to fulfill? And um, uh, so, uh, you know, we're blessed to be in a very lively diocese here in Lincoln and in a very lively parish uh, and um, the, the music, the praying, the scripture reading, certainly the, the, the centrality of the Eucharist. But all of this is designed to exalt our hearts, our minds, uh, the whole of our lives to God. And um, so the question I'm posing is straight out of Leviticus, because it, it is this God that God's people are called to meet as they come to the tabernacle. And um, and it's this God that we're called to meet when we come to our Mass. So it's not enough, as you state later in your article, just to be uh, focusing on God as the objective of liturgy. It also has to be 
pleasing to God because we could be so self-centered and so focused on ourselves that even if we think we are focusing on God, we could still be doing it in a way that is not actually pleasing to God. So what does Leviticus say about, about that, about, you know, guiding us not only to make God the, the objective or the goal, please, you know, uh, is it focus on the liturgy, but also to do it in a way where that pleases him. Sure. One doesn't uh, read far into Leviticus, and you begin to encounter a little line about uh, worship being a soothing aroma or a, a pleasing, uh, sweet-smelling sacrifice, and uh, English Bibles translate the phrase variously. But some 17 times this phrase is used in this book, uh, most of them in the early chapters. It becomes clear uh, from chapter one onward that the real objective here is not just our own personal gain, our, our personal enjoyment, the pleasure we, we receive, but are we truly coming as an act of worship uh, that, that is pleasing to the Lord? Are, are, are we there? Um, not so much, you know, for what we get out of it, but for what God gets out of it. Sometimes I, I pose it uh, as a question uh, along these lines, rather than, uh, am I happy I went to Mass this morning, or did I enjoy going to Mass this morning? But but just turn that around. Is God happy with what I offered at Mass today? <laughs> Is God pleased with the, what I brought to him today? That, that's really the question. And, and at this point, I try to become quite practical in the article. It, it, it really, it, it, worship in Leviticus, liturgy in Leviticus isn't viewed from the standpoint of whatever feels good or whatever is popular or, you know, what, what, whatever um, uh, satisfies our particular pleasures. But, but, but what is uh, delightful to the heart of God, and and I think that's the question that we ought be raising as we um, as we think about Mass. Uh, am I going there to offer that which is truly pleasing, a delight to the Lord? Um, you know, it, it, the sweet smelling sacrifice. I, I think many of us can relate to the aroma of a backyard uh, <laughs> grill uh, on a nice summer evening, and um, and, and I don't mean to physicalize God, of course, but but I think in much the same way, the uh, the offerings of our worship are to ascend to the Lord as a sweet-smelling sacrifice, a delight to the heart of our God. And that has implications for the attitudes with which we go, the, the preparation of our heart, the attentiveness with which we participate. Uh, I am forever telling people, that let's not speak in terms of attending Mass. Let's speak in terms of participating in the Mass. Let's be all in uh, for the glory of God. The, the next thing that you offer as a question is, uh, are the offerings of our liturgy befitting to God? Now, one could look at that question immediately and say, okay, well, are you asking, because we're supposed to offer ourselves in the Mass, are you asking, am I worthy or befitting uh, as a sacrifice to God? And if so, what is the answer to that question? Because you have myself down here in the in the earthly realm, and you have the perfected Christ in heavenly glory. Am, am I a sacrifice befitting for the liturgy? Sure. Well, 
Yeah, that, that's a that's a penetrating question. And in a certain sense, we will always have to respond to that by saying we are never worthy. We are always invited guests and we're invited because of God's great mercy and God's great grace. And, and only uh, in those ways can anything we offer be, befit the Lord. But in Leviticus, we have this uh, emphasis um, throughout the book on bringing whatever is best, the, the very first and the best. In the case of um, lambs and sheep from the flocks, you, you, you don't find a sheep in your flock, uh, a lamb that has a torn tail or a, a torn ear uh, or a broken leg. You, you, you find the first and the best, those that are without blemish, and you offer those to the Lord. And, and as this theme threads its way throughout the scriptures, then it, it shows up in multiple passages in the prophets where the people are, are rebuked for offering the scraps, the leftovers. And, and again, I think this is a convicting uh, matter for us. Are, are we coming to the Lord to offer our very best? And I think that has implications for uh, are we rested? Are our minds free from unnecessary clutter? Uh, or have we expended all of our time and energies on, on other things so that we just bring God the leftovers? And so in a certain sense, nothing we offer is completely worthy, but it's made acceptable because of God's grace. And then the issue comes down to the intention of our hearts. And, and are we truly offering God our first and our finest? So, so the, the last question that you pose is, are we the offerers of the liturgy God reflecting? Now, I, I see this as and you had mentioned, you know, active participation in the sacred liturgy. I see this as, even even being transfigured, deified, sanctified in the sacred liturgy, uh, especially when you see the apostles go on the mountain with Christ during his transfiguration and they come back refulgent and glowing in God's yeah. glory. And we, and we see Moses coming down from his time with God, his face glowing. Uh, are, are you telling me that in Leviticus, way back when, we're, we're seeing the foreshadowing of transfiguration and sanctification through through the Lord God, Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, indeed. And this is why the second half of the book focuses then on the life that is commensurate with the liturgy. It, it focuses on uh, a certain kind of holy life that flows out of the, the worship uh, system that God implemented in the tabernacle. And and so uh, that life then is to be, that holiness then of the liturgy is to be lived out in all aspects of life. And this is why the rest of Leviticus uh, takes us into uh, all matters um, of daily living. And it, it just breaks down this dichotomy between, you know, what goes on uh, on Sunday and what goes on Monday through Saturday. One of my favorite moments in the Mass is the, dis the dismissal, not because it's over now, we can all go home, you know, like, uh, like the, the, the recess bell has rung, but, but because of, of what it's saying, it, it's saying, so go out now and live what we have just experienced here in this holy, this holy moment. Go live, take this message out in your life and in your words. 
um, in your relationships, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. Live this out and, and, and then come back uh, to next Mass and, and be refueled and replenished again in, in a renewed meeting with the Lord. And then go back out and live. And I see in Leviticus the, um, this, this both and, this coming together of worship and walk, of liturgy and life. And um, uh, the, the uh, confession of our lips uh, in informing and being consistent with the conduct of our life, or I should have perhaps reversed that, the conduct of our life being consistent with what we confess in our liturgy. Uh, Leviticus, I can't think of another book in Scripture that brings these two together quite the way Leviticus does. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Steiner. This is going to give me a lot to chew on, and I might actually have to go pick up the book of Leviticus and start reading through it uh, with that with that lens in mind, the, the lens of liturgy and offering and sacrifice, because uh, I think that will help me uh, plow through some of the difficult portions of the, of the book itself. So thank you so much for your time and your insight. And if people want to read your article, they can go to otteramus.org. Thank you very much, Dr. Steiner. You're welcome. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. God bless you. God bless you.